Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for family-first entrepreneurs building profitable and progressive businesses. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Meg Brunson, and my pronouns are she, her. Before we get started, I want to remind you that this podcast episode isn't going to change a thing in your business unless you take action. And the best way to follow through is by joining us inside of the Familypreneur Business Accelerator. It's where we work, win, celebrate, and grow together. Head over to familypreneur.co to join us today. All right, let's do this. Hey, hey, familypreneurs. Thank you for joining me again for another episode. Today's episode, we are talking about something very serious. We're talking about safety. We're talking about family. We are talking specifically about sex trafficking, the root causes, systemic challenges, and what we as parents can look for. I'm really excited to have Crystal Snyder here with us today. Crystal has over 10 years of experience working in the nonprofit field for feminist agencies. She specializes in supporting agencies, working with those who have experienced gender-based violence, and with particular, mm, I just, okay, let me read that again, sorry. She specializes in supporting agencies, working with those who have experienced gender-based violence with particular expertise in human trafficking. As a survivor herself of human trafficking, coupled with her years of experience in the field, Crystal has led a variety of community development responses to identify, support, and build systemic capacity to reduce barriers to accessing services. Crystal uses trauma-informed, intersectional, anti-oppressive, and human rights-based approaches I have connected with Crystal in the past, and we kind of talked about these, this topic and these issues um, off, like not being recorded. And I instantly knew I wanted to reconnect, record the conversation, and share it with everybody. It's been probably a year we determined. So I'm sure a lot of what we talk about has faded into the background, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you again, Crystal. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so jazzed, so jazzed to see you and to be here and and have this conversation. And I want to start with just kind of defining what human traffic or what what human trafficking, what um, sex trafficking, even like what do those terms actually mean? Because I know for me. Um, I had a totally distorted perception of what it meant to be trafficked. So can we start with that basic definition? For sure. So I think in uh, different countries have different kind of legal definitions, but the most broadly used definition is, is a UN, uh, United Nations. And essentially trafficking is about how we recruit somebody or how we bring somebody in how we make them stay in order to exploit them for money. So we see that happen with labor. We see that happen with organs, domestic servitude, uh, which is, you know, people who are living nannies get exploited and trafficked. Uh, But my expertise and my lived experience is in sex trafficking. So 
um, fundamentally, people think when we look at definitions of human trafficking, I often get asked, like, well, does it, how far do you have to be moved? Like, do you have to go across a border and then be sold for sex? Or do you have to go across a state or a province? Um, I think a lot of people think it's about the movement of humans. And that sometimes can be smuggling, human smuggling. Um, but with human trafficking, it's about how we restrict somebody's movement rather than how far they move. So you could be sex trafficked in the same house for years in the same place. Uh, it's not necessarily about movement, but rather how come your movements are restricted in which ways. And that's definitely an area I was confused. When I hear trafficked, I think movement. So I imagine people getting kidnapped, you know, thrown in the back of a van and being taken away to be exploited in that way. But that's not, that's not actually the case, right? Yeah, so it is and it isn't. I've certainly seen cases of somebody, you know, put in a trunk and driven to another province. I'm up in Canada, so um, to another province and then forced into the sex trade. I've definitely had those cases. I've seen those cases. Um, we see that movement happen with um, forced migration and then people being trafficked or exploited. So we do see it happen across borders. But particularly here in Canada, and I would assume similarly for the states, uh, what we actually see is what's called domestic trafficking, which means you were born in Canada or you landed in Canada and you were trafficked while here. You weren't, you weren't trafficked coming here. That wasn't the idea. Um, mm. And the stat in Canada is that 90% of people who are trafficked, sex trafficked, are Canadian born or have Canadian um, residency. So it's the majority of what we see. The caveat to that is to say, if you don't have documentation, if you are undocumented or precarious in your status, you're not calling police. So we're not tracking the data. Sure, that makes sense, unfortunately. So yeah. do you yeah. have insights on who the perpetrators typically are of these cases, because again, I'm going back to stereotypes, right? Where we, we, we think of gangs, we think of, I mean, here in, here in the States, at least there's a lot of um, bias, internal bias, like against immigrants, especially undocumented immigrants, especially brown immigrants. And so we have this painting of what the, the bad guys, you know, would, should, um, look like? And I know that's not always the case. So what is a typical uh, perpetrator look like? And how is their relationship typically to the victim? Yeah, those are really great questions. And I think I think my thoughts are a couple of things. So one is that Canada is not immune from its racism. Um, we just tend to be politer about it. And so similar here in Canada, um, we the way that we show traffickers in media if it is a brown or black body, it's particularly a male, is very different than when it's a white doctor who has been trafficking somebody. Um, so I'm mindful of that. And just before we kind of got on, we talked about, um, you know, here in Canada, we have this idea of what is a perfect victim. And a perfect victim is trafficked by somebody who's involved in organized crime, somebody who's part of a gang, um, or somebody who has immigrated or migrated to Canada. 
And that happens. That does happen. Organized crime does play a role in human trafficking, but that's not exclusively what happens. And I think the, the problem becomes when we only talk about young white women in hotels, we miss a lot of other cases of human trafficking. And so um, what I always tend to tell people is like, nobody can pick a trafficker out of a room. You can't go into a room of 200 people and say, oh, well, that guy is a trafficker. The only folks that I know that can do that are survivors. And that's because survivors have built up this innate alarm inside of them to be able to say there's something not right about this. Um, we just had an RCMP officer in Ontario charged this week with, or sorry, this month with human trafficking. That was a labor trafficking can case. Can you, real quick, I'm um, sorry. So I don't know the can you define what that yeah. stands for? Our yeah, sorry. It's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. It would be similar to uh, the FBI almost. There are federal okay, policing <laughs> agency. Yeah, no, sure. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that reminder. Yeah, I think in terms of what it might look like in the States, it would be similar to the FBI in that they have federal jurisdiction. Okay, thank you. And um, yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate that. So we just, we had an officer, in the, um, a police officer charged, doctors have been charged. Um, it, it can be anybody. And, a, and a one huge area that we don't talk about is intergenerational or familial trafficking, which was, you know, parents trafficking children because their grandparents trafficked them. And when I think about kind of the, in, in Canada and definitely in the States, trafficking isn't a phenomenon, right? Like, so in Canada, for example, we had slavery. And then when slavery was quote unquote abolished, we had residential schools um, where Indigenous people were sent. 51% um, of people in Canada that are trafficked are Indigenous women and girls, and they're only 4% of the population. Mm -hmm. And that isn't because of a phenomenon. It's because you stole kids from their homes, abused them. They could not leave and to exploit their land. It's a legacy that we have in our country. <laughs> there, are, like, there almost are no words, right? And so when you talked about the perfect victim, those women and girls would be included in that. And is the reason you call it the perfect victim because, how do I say it? Because they're not the white girls that people picture. Like you can almost, it's harder to get media coverage. It's, it's easier to get away with it. Is that what you mean by that? And maybe you could say that in a better way than I'm trying to put it together. Yeah, it's a really good question. So when I think of what the perfect victim looks like in Canada, it is young white women in hotels. And so the opposite mm. to that would be anybody who doesn't meet that. And the reason for that is because people aren't looking then or they're not paying attention, right? So we have all of this money invested in programming and supports for human trafficking, but it doesn't support everybody. It's not accessible. It's not culturally relevant. Um, and so those folks get get left and um, and we know that in even in, you know, in human trafficking, uh, folks who are racialized often experience increased violence more so than than other folks. They're asked to do worse, more violent acts with less protection. And so that all play that racism plays out there as well. 
I feel like we've kind of outlined what what trafficking is and clearly, uh, you know, uh, the severity of it and the importance and increasing our awareness. Um, what can we, do, like, what role do we play as parents in empowering ourselves to not be victims, empowering our kids to not be victims? And maybe even, maybe this should be a separate question, but like, what can we do to help identify people who may need our help, like our kids' friends or something like that, or even find out if our kids are already in danger? I don't know. I know that's like 50 questions, but um, that's where my brain goes talking about this topic. (laughs) They're all all very good questions, and I think I'll have a similar answer. So (laughs) the way that trafficking operates, the way that traffickers find people to traffic is they look for vulnerabilities, right? So they're looking for unmet needs. Uh, This can be housing, uh, can be very practical needs like food, shelter, those kinds of things. So those folks would be the folks that would be most at risk. Um, But a lot of people don't realize that our unmet emotional needs or our emotional needs in general are just as primal to have met as um, your physical needs. So I, I often give this this example of pizza. So like if you were starving to death, you haven't eaten anything in 10 days and there was like a nasty piece of pizza on the ground, would you eat it? I mean, probably if I was like, I'd like to say no, but if I'm that hungry and that starving, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And and the truth is you would eat it. Every single person would, because you're not thinking with the thinking part of your brain. You're in a survival sure. mode, right? So every single person after 10 days is going to eat the gross piece of pizza and it's going to taste like the best thing you ever had. And when we have unmet emotional needs, like the the need to be loved and validated and cared for um, and feel well, that is survival brain. So you take whatever you can get and it feels like the best thing you ever had. Mm. So what I mean in terms of a prevention, I guess, or what parents can do is is to be mindful that those emotional needs are just as primal. It doesn't mean we're going to need uh, we're going to meet all of them, um, and that's okay. But how do we help to teach our kids to meet their own, or where else they can get it safely, um, and and being mindful about that connection? Fundamentally, traffickers will poke holes to find out. Who doesn't have a good relationship with their parents? Who maybe had some early childhood violence in their household? Um, Who doesn't feel like they have well self-esteem? And just by being born, you know, a female really in in Western culture, um, you're vulnerable because at 13, our self-esteem takes a dip. We're starting to read messages in the world around us. Our body image takes a huge shot. Traffickers know that. And they capitalize on those vulnerabilities. So uh, the best prevention that we as parents can have is connection with our children. Conversations. Which, I think, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I think, you know, most kids want to have this conversation. Um, I think I was just at a presentation two weeks ago and uh, the sexual assault center that was there had done a survey with 40 kids and said, who's your number one influence? 40 teenagers. And the number one influence in 40 teenagers' lives was their parents. So we're we're positioned. 
That's it. We are the best. We are in we're, the best position. Now, do you have a recommendation? Like, how do we actually start this conversation? I can already tell you if I sit my 14-year-old down and tell her I want to talk about either exploitation, which is going to be, like, really big for her, or if I want to talk about our feelings, I am going to get, like, a huge eye roll and she is not paying attention. How do we approach these conversations in a way that's going to actually tap into our kids? Yeah, I think one one really um, great position that we have right now is is social media and is is the time that we all spend on the internet. Um, and so I think that's a really great place to start. I think asking kids what they already know about how do they already keep themselves safe online mm. is just positioning from like tell me what you already know and how you already do it. And then if we need to tweak some things, we can. So I think that's always a great way to start um, is just like, have you ever had a random person show up in your DMs? Like, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. And we didn't even, we started off talking about like local in real life examples. We haven't even tapped into the possibilities and the dangers of social media and the digital world. Yeah, I think that is a that's probably the number one place um, where traffickers recruit during COVID here in Canada. Um, online recruitment increased by 44 percent. That's a huge amount. Um, so the data is terrifying. But I, I always want to remind parents like you have these skills to talk to your kids about it. And it's important. And they're they're already very smart. Like they're already <laughs> smarter than we are when it comes to online. So really you're just you're just curious around, well, what do you know? And I also think with these discussions, they are not one-offs. They're not the sit-down, you know, birds and bees talk. These are ongoing. Can you tell me more about that? Or what happens if this uh, conversations rather than like you said, I really want to talk to you about sexual exploitation today. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think there's a lead up to that. There's a really great video um, that's called I Am Little Red. It costs about 30 bucks to purchase online. Um, there may be a cheaper one. I, I have like the, the educator's license. Anyway, it's an 11 minute cartoon video about human trafficking. And it was made for um, grade seven, and eight and up. It's a really cool video. So if parents have the access and the and the finances to be able to purchase the the download, it's a really cool tool to to use. Awesome. We can definitely we'll look for a link and and put that in the show notes too so people have that. It would be nice if it if they made it more affordable. Like that's the other piece, right? It's when we're talking about vulnerabilities, like socioeconomic status is going to be a big one and I think a lot of the families who really could benefit from that um, aren't going to be able to afford afford that. For sure. There are some other really great resources. If you're in Canada, uh, the Canadian Center to End Human Trafficking is a resource. If you're in the States, Polaris. Polaris is a national hotline for human trafficking. So if you're ever like unsure if somebody's being trafficked or you think, you know, there's a kid that's at risk, uh, you can always call them and they'll hook you up with services. And that's a free service. Do you know if that's different or similar? I know growing up, I always knew about like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Or is that just for kids where Polaris might be for like all people? 
Yeah, exactly. And and missing and exploited children isn't necessarily exclusively trafficking. Polaris is exclusively okay. a trafficking hotline. Okay. Um, and yes, not age dependent. Again, good to know. <laughs> Learning all yes. of these lessons. So I think the, the biggest takeaways that we've talked about so far, is, especially when it comes to prevention in our children, is having those conversations and and also um, just doing what we can to make sure that they're emotionally, what's the word I'm looking for, fulfilled, and that they understand online safety. Because I think you're right, like knowing, knowing my kids, I feel like in person, it's just... I almost feel like they're safer in person than they are online. And it sounds like statistics may also back that up, even though people still get afraid of like kids getting yanked off a playground or something. Yeah, it's a really challenging time. And online right now is uh, kids are so vulnerable online because kids are, are uh, they're just so, I don't know the word that I'm looking for, trusting, right? Like, you meet online friends, I was say and that's very much the world. Yeah, night, right? And that's very much the world. Like, I never, I just had my son's tenth uh, birthday, and I invited kids that he's only ever been with online. Like, they're kids from our city, but he's never met them in person. And I, they came to his party, and I was like, "This is what we're dealing with here, right?" So, having some really strict rules and agreements around how we interact online is important in our house. Um, obviously, I don't want to shut them down. I want to create a space where they can come forward when something has happened. Um, but we do have expectations and around, you know, if you are sharing this information, then this is kind of the consequence for that. Um, and for me, anyway, I feel grateful that that's worked for both of, of my kids. Uh, my daughter was was lured over the summer, um, pretty intensely lured. And as any 15-year-old, I think she knows probably more than most about human trafficking. Um, but it happens. Mm -hmm. You know, she was in isolation. Somebody was doing a horrible thing, being a horrible person. And, uh, and that happens. And I'm grateful that she was able to come to me when it got to be too much that she felt she couldn't handle it. But uh, it, is, it is a scary time online. Oh man, and it sure is. And I think the another piece, just for me, who I, my my background is obviously in social media marketing. I say obviously for people who've been listening for a while, um, having a basic understanding of the platforms that your kids are using is also huge. And even then, people make mistakes. Um, you know, Snapchat is one where you can turn on like location. Um, tracking so that your friends can see like where you are. And I'm sure there's, uh, you know, some margin of, of error, as we know, with most tracking things, but this still scary close for virtual strangers to be able to track where you are yeah, as, a, as a child, <laughs> as a teen. I think to a whole other probably podcast episode, but is corporate responsibility right? Like social media platforms know that they create pathways and that they financially benefit off the exploitation of humans and the sale of children. And they <sighs> continuously do not make changes. Yeah. 
So there's a huge corporate responsibility when it comes to the online world that doesn't get dissolved without lawsuits. And lawsuits can only happen if you have access to lawsuits. Right. So can I touch on, I, I don't think we, we touched on this, one of my questions I asked with the million, um, <laughs> the million of questions is what can we do? What can we look for in other kids or while we're in our community um, to look for warning signs that somebody else may be at risk? And then how can we help those people? For sure. So in uh, trafficking, kind of when it happens in person might look like, and it can happen online too, but um, early on when a trafficker is trying to find out like who's kind of going to bite what I'm, what I'm giving out there and who might be open to a relationship um, because most traffickers that I, that I, or most, most survivors that I've worked with, the trafficker has been somebody they knew. And for many, many, many people, they thought it was a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner mm. um, because traffickers work to develop a relationship. If they were to just take you in a trunk and drive you across, you're, you're going to leave quicker than if you think this person really loves you. Um, so early on in that grooming stage would be, you know, talking to a new person that they're not bringing around or talking about a new person that they're not bringing around. Maybe they're receiving gifts that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. This could be another phone. This could be getting their nails and their hair done. It could be new purses, new clothing. Um, it could be providing drugs, um, providing rent, providing food. So just all of a sudden, like these needs are getting met and these gifts are kind of happening. We do see it happen on, on games like Fortnite, where gifts mm -hmm. are given to children from other players. Hmm. And then it moves I... into, um, yeah, yeah, it moves <laughs> offline into something like Discord or a private chat. Interesting. So, yeah, so it could be, it really is about like, hey, look, I'm going to take care of you. You deserve this. And then you feel really great because you don't have those things and this person really is thoughtful and cares about you, right? So early on, that's what you would see. A lot of like intense relationship uh, very quickly, very early, um, possibly some gifts, but they won't really bring them around. Maybe they have a, a street name is what I would say. Some, you know, a name that maybe isn't their given name that they're going by, Um those would be early things to look at. And in terms of what we do as parents, it's having those conversations around the safety of that and the concerns that you have there. I always say to parents, like, if if your parents told you don't hang out with this person, what would you do? <laughs> Ignore them. You're gonna, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna hang out and you're gonna lie about it. You're gonna start lying about it, right? So uh, it's not to say that I don't want us to be cautious and, and open with our kids. Uh, but what we don't want to do is create a shutdown, right? We can say, I'm concerned. If this changes, if this really great good feeling goes away because something happens, what then? What does that look like? Um, those kinds of things. So that would be early. And then there are some phases. There's about five phases of trafficking. Um, the middle phase is kind of where traffickers will start to withdraw attention from from the person and stop buying gifts or start being mad at them and then this person's like oh my god I want to feel good I'll do anything to make you happy kind of feeling right 
So traffickers at that stage will push boundaries. So here you might see an increase in anxiety, an increase in isolation or withdrawing, um, really focusing on this one person. Um, you know, maybe they're not sleeping well, maybe they're missing curfew often, those kinds of things um, might be things that you want to look for. And that's that's a place where you really want to start safety planning and possibly involve some help if it's somebody under, uh, I think in, in the States, your rules are 18, ours are 16. Um, so you want to try and call whoever you can call to, to support at that point. And then in the last phase, if somebody is actively being trafficked, uh, what you'll often see is somebody who maybe looks malnourished. Um, food is often controlled by traffickers. Um, they may have signs of abuse, typically not on the face, but on the body. Uh, maybe they have what's called branding, which is a tattoo or similar tattoos, multiple girls, um, which really labels you as property of a pimp. Um, maybe you don't have access to your own identification. You're not calling home anymore. You are gone missing at that point um, or soon to be. Drug use would increase at that point as well if they're not already using drugs. Um, and I would say mental health symptoms that are that are extreme, like just uh, this this energy of desperation, um, but non-compliance, if that makes sense, not not wanting to connect with family or listening. Um, that's typically when no, it does. Is, I really is, appreciate that you broke down those different the different levels, the different stages, because I think it helps us to understand what it might look like, right? Like what it typically looks like. But then also I feel like you just also have to trust your gut because it may look different, right? Like there's no, God, I hope there's not like a handbook on how to traffic. Like people are going to. There are books. Do. There are books. Steve Harvey wrote a book about how to pimp girls. For real? Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other issue. Um, but I appreciate you breaking out those levels and just having this conversation today, I hope opens opens the eyes, opens the minds of other parents and especially parent entrepreneurs. We're busy and it's really easy to get distracted by our work. Um and, you know, and realize that maybe we're not spending as much time with our kids or our family as we intended to and just have to pull ourselves back into that role and have these conversations. And um, I'm going to put all the links that you mentioned in the show notes where can, if, if people want to reach out to you, is there a way to, for people to connect with you and, and ask more questions? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, my email and phone number contact is on my website, which is collaborativecommunitysolutions.ca. Uh, I have Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. So totally people can shoot me a message or, or give me a ring if they have some questions or thoughts. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule for talking about such a, a heavy yet important topic for answering my millions of questions as my brain kind of spirals, because I feel like this is a, a legit present danger that we're all facing and, and maybe not even be aware that we're facing it. And it's scary. So I appreciate all the insight that you've brought for us today. Thank you so much. And, and thanks for having me. I, uh, I really appreciate any opportunity to, 
help parents learn more. Of course. All right, that is it for this episode of Familypreneur. Join us inside of the Familypreneur Business Accelerator to follow through on the action steps from this episode alongside an incredibly supportive community. Plus, access our robust training vaults and a variety of exclusive monthly virtual events, including co-working, happy hours, and bonus training sessions. Head over to familypreneur.co and join us today. Until next time, I'll see you over in the Familypreneur Business Accelerator. Bye for now.